it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern, and we have Andrew Sather with us today. Tonight, we're going to do something. We're going to talk a little technique about investing. We're going to talk about the magic formula. This is from our friend Joel Greenblatt, one of our favorite investors. So tonight's topic is going to be a magical formula with earnings yield and a return on capital. So we're going to do a little discussion about some formulas as well as some other number stuff. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew and he'll get us started off. Yeah. So again, this is a formula that is very value investing based and Joel Greenblatt is a guy, he's a fund manager. He's had a ton of success with this formula. And so what he did was he saw a lot of success, made a bunch of people a bunch of money, and then he went out and wrote a book kind of just basically laying out like this is how I pick stocks. Um, so it's very reminiscent of like my value trap indicator formula, except, you know, he has obviously a much longer track record than I do. But, you know, in the sense that there's these 
specific rules and a basic equation that is based on purely financials. So he, he took that magic formula, as he calls it, and he put it in a book called The Little Book That Beats the Market, ended up being a bestseller and went on to do really, really well. Um, I know he had a period of time where he was making, I don't know if it was like 20% or 30% like return per year for like multiple, maybe even like a decade or two. Really, really just really crazy returns. Um, recently it hasn't been as strong as it was in the past, but just like with any value investor, guys like Buffett who might underperform during a really strong bull market, there's always periods where they'll kind of outperform and underperform. So again, it, it depends, like we've talked about before with back testing, it kind of depends on where you draw the line and where, what time range you're evaluating. But a guy like Joel Greenblatt and this magic formula has really proven to do extremely well for a very long period of time. And it's obviously something that's worth discussing. It is kind of technical and there are some numbers behind it, but just as I do with all numbers and metrics and valuations, obviously this is a podcast. This is structured for beginners. So I really want to take these complicated topics and try to really make them as simple as we can. And so that's kind of going to be the goal for this episode. And hopefully even as you're listening, you'll be able to kind of get some insight into that and start to see some things click so that you can say, oh, wow, this is just another kind of tool to have in my toolbox or just another piece of information to know or might strengthen your beliefs in some other tactics that you might use that are similar yet you know, maybe related, but not completely the same. Um, and, and a lot of those type of principles do apply here as well and do as when you're a value investor, those type of things can apply for yourself as well. So he just breaks it down into two components and basically the magic formula is based on the earnings yield and the return on capital. So if you go back and listen uh, to one of our most popular episodes is called the uh, useful guide for stock market valuations, something like that. We talk about some of the most common valuations. One of the the biggest, and I think it was the one we started on was price to earnings ratio. I mean, you'll hear this one all the time talked about all throughout the blogs and, you know, even sometimes in the media, they talk about the PE uh, almost any book you'll open up will, will mention PE in some way or the other. So when you look at PE and you look at earnings yield, understand that it's basically the same thing. Earnings yield is just the PE flipped. So where the price, the PE is the price to earnings. That means it's the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share of the stock. Uh, an earnings yield is going to be the earnings per share of the stock divided by the price of the stock. Basically, because it's the same thing, we know that it's going to measure for the same metrics. So what that means for us as investors is ratio like PE is one that's going to, number one, keep us in stocks that are cheaper. And number two, it's going to keep us in stocks that are profitable. Because if a stock has, let's say, a lot of profits, then that earning side, that top side of the formula 
is going to be a lot higher. So it's going to push that earning yields up. So where a PE, you want it to be as low as possible because the earnings yields flipped, we want the earnings yield to be as high as possible. And the same kind of thinking comes along with the price as well. You know, if a stock's beat down really, really, you know, terribly by the, by the market and there's just a lot of pessimism there, then, you know, that's going to push the price down and make, make it really undervalued. Chances are it'll be undervalued, you know, depending on how the other metrics look. But the lower that pushes it down, obviously the lower it, it's going to make the, so the, the, the lower that price goes down, it, it's actually going to push the earnings yield up as well. Because in that case, the price is in the denominator. So as the price goes down, our earning yield, earnings yield goes up. And those are two of the things we like to see, high earnings and the low price. You flip that over, you know, if, if the price starts to really go higher, then that price part of the equation is, is getting higher. And so it's making that earnings yield shrink. Now, the way Greenblatt kind of described his version of earnings yield, I simplified it really there by, by calling it the inverse of P.E., Depends on who you talk about and how specific you want to be. Greenblatt made it more specific in that he said uh, it's the EBIT, which is earnings before interest and taxes, and then divided by enterprise value, which kind of adds some aspects of, of the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. So it, it, it's some of those technicalities. Maybe you can speak on this, uh, Dave, but... I read the Audible version and he didn't really mention earnings yield in this definition. I know some investors do kind of use the whole EBIT and enterprise value thing. At the end of the day, it's it's going to be a difference that's such a small scale that it's not really going to push the needle too much. But I think it's important to at least acknowledge it as something that we're covering. Do you know if in the written version of the book, if he if he called earnings yield just like PE flipped or if it was like this EBIT enterprise value thing. Yeah, he was, he was very, he, it was more of the technical uh, side of it. He, he went with the, the EBIT uh, divided by the enterprise value and he kind of, he took a, he, you know, he didn't go extremely into depth on enterprise value or EBIT. He just talked a little bit more surface about them as opposed to really diving in and getting into the nuts and bolts of them. Uh, the, the book, as you know, is, is more geared towards kind of a younger crowd. And so he was, I read something that he was writing the book, uh, really to try to teach his kids. He had, uh, I think a seven and an eight year old. He was really trying to write the book for them to learn how to invest. And that's kind of his mindset of why he wrote the book the way he did. But he did talk about both of the, uh, the, the both, um, factors of the formula. Uh, but again, he didn't go into depth into the, you know, that description of enter and how it breaks down, uh, with, with everything, you know, for, I think for our purposes today, uh, I think we would probably just be better suited if you're all right with it to just stick with what you're explaining, because if we, if we start talking about enterprise value, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. I don't know if we want to go down because it's, it's, it, it could be a little complicated. That might be another conversation we could have in a future episode. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, all right, kids, put out your textbooks and go to section four, uh, <laughs> page 300 and 
Yeah, we don't want to do yeah, that exactly. to we don't want to do that to our listeners. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, now that you bring it up, I know he did kind of explain the basics, kind of like what I'm trying to do. And then he has a resource on his website that actually calculates it all for you. So yes. you don't necessarily need to know, oh, how do I calculate is, you know, how do I calculate earnings deal based on enterprise value? He kind of more presents it on why it works and then let the details fall. And like you said, somebody can pick it up if they want to, but it's not necessary per se. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. 
The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So the the second part of that would be return on capital. And so let me explain how he's kind of using these metrics and how it relates to the magic formula. So basically instead of taking these valuations and saying, okay, well, you know, I'm only going to buy a stock that has an earnings yield of 20 or something like that. You know, there's no hard, fast rule for how he's looking at these valuations, which is actually kind of a different approach to the way a lot of investors like to look at stocks with, with, certain generalities and you know i obviously do look that way to an extent i have my own kind of flavor aside from that and i've talked about that countless times but what how he does it is he ranks these these stocks based on both the earnings yield and the return on capital so he'll he'll pull up a list of stocks and rank them one two three four five this stock has the number one best earning yield out of the whole list. Number two, number three, same with return on capital. And then those ranks are, are averaged out and then you get like a total average. And then he basically buys the, the top ranked based on those two metrics. So he has a couple other rules. We can get into that a little bit later, but like I said, both in a back tested and with his own personal track record, it did do very, very well. The return on capital is going to be where the earnings yield is more looking at, like we said, profitability and where the stock falls in the stock market, whether it's cheap or expensive. You know, that's really focusing on the income statement. And now we have the return on capital, which is also looking at the income statement, but it's looking at it how it relates to the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. So again, <laughs> Return on capital can be calculated a variety of different ways. It's funny because the deeper down the rabbit hole you go with some of these, you know, I, I've seen metrics where you put it into Google and I've seen like two different calculations for the exact same metric. Um, and, and Google just puts them up one and two because it doesn't want to decide for itself. But return on capital if you take the really strict definition, it's again, EBIT at the top. And then we're looking at net tangible assets plus working capital at the bottom. To put that in the layman terms, again, we're going to look at the earnings at the top, but at the bottom, we're basically going to look at what does the company have that's kind of liquid and it like a kind of a combination of balance sheet and cash flow. So it's like, Okay, well, when we talk about net tangible assets, it's really like 
well, how much real estate does this company have? You know, how much inventory do they have? How much is their plants that they're manufacturing their products? How much is that worth? And, and what's that cost, right? Or what's that value? And, you know, the working capital section, which is part of this denominator, it's really talking about, you know, how much cash do they have? So again, like I talked about with, with the cash flow statement and it can include things like the, the current assets, current liabilities, things like accounts receivable and inventory. Again, jargon, don't worry about it too much, but it's basically going to look at what's the short term cash picture of the company and then what's the long term asset picture and that how much the company is worth. And that's really what we're looking at when we want to see what's the return on capital. So that's kind of like the capital part of the equation is really the value of the assets and how much cash they have on hand. So because that part, the capital is is on the denominator, it's going to work in the same way that price worked. So the lower the price, you know, the better our earnings yield went. So the lower the capital, the higher our return on capital went. And, you know, that might not make sense. Well, why, why are we rewarding, you know, cause Greenblatt wants higher return on capital companies. Well, why are we rewarding companies with lower cash and companies with less real estate or less plants and, and equipment and manufacturing tools? Why would we want companies that are less than that? Well, the reason is, is because what that's telling you is that the company doesn't need as much cash to be able to make money. So think about kind of the newer, you, you can think of like technology stocks, maybe like a Facebook, right? Where lately it's, it's really been able to get its earnings up and, you know, don't quote me because I don't know how their earnings picture is now. I don't know what their return on capital is now, but just think of it, you know, if they were the perfect business where all they needed were a couple of engineers and, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of finance people, but they had like this crazy website that didn't need all these expensive plants to survive. That would be really like a low capital intensive business because you don't need to funnel a lot of cash to create cash. Now, you know, obviously they're having, it's an argument whether they're having struggles or successes with that. Maybe that was a bad example to kind of bring up, but the, the idea is that a higher return on capital means that we can put ourselves into companies that are going to grow at a much accelerated rate because you know by focusing on earnings yield in the first part we're getting high profitable companies the second part with a high return on capital we're getting the that high earnings but as that earnings is reinvested into the business because it doesn't need much capital then each basically look at each dollar that they're reinvesting is really going to create even higher levels of business. And so that's why Greenblatt likes to look at return on capital. It's another reason why return on capital is really used a lot when people evaluate growth companies and things like even the guys on Shark Tank, I think they use something similar to return on capital. It can be a good way to evaluate not necessarily how fast a company is growing, but how much potential it has to grow because the idea is if, if the return on capital is high, 
then it's the obstacles that are in our path are not as high in order to create growth, assuming you don't reach saturation because the company is not as capital intensive, which means, you know, the business model looks really nice and really profitable and, and just, you know, make, that's just kind of the, the nature of business is some industries and some business models can just be straight up better than others. And, you know, the return on capital, because it has, again, earnings on top, it's really kind of giving us this double uh, emphasis on earnings. And so you can see if the earnings are high, just in general, it's going to make our, our earnings yield high, which was the first part of the equation. If it's earnings are high, it's going to make the return on capital high, which is the second part. So really make no mistake about it. Greenblatt's really putting his investments into companies that are really, really putting out high amounts of, of earnings in addition to some of the other things such as undervaluation or, you know, capital intensive or efficiency, if you want to call it that. He's really, really putting a heavy focus on the earnings. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yes, he was. And the the beauty of, of his system is it's, you know, there are some, there can be some complications to, not complications, that's not the right way of saying it. There can, it can be complicated if you really dig into, you know, the, the formulas and all the different numbers that you can go behind it. But using the framework that Andrew laid out, it's, you know, really quite simple. And the other thing that's cool about it too is, you know, kind of backing up a little bit and talking a little bit about Greenblatt and maybe some of his success. He ran a, a hedge fund in New York City called Gotham. And he, during a, I believe it was a 15 or 20 year cycle, he had 40% returns annualized over the, over that time period. And which is just, that's obscene. <laughs> and this is before he even came up with a magic formula idea. So, you know, he's, he's kind of an interesting guy. I've read, I've read three of his books and you know, he's a, he's a really, really good writer. He, he writes to, even though, and he's very accomplished and he knows everything and anything you need to know about the stock market and how it works. He's able to write in a style that the average can understand. And his books are, you know, the, the book that we're discussing right, you know, tonight, it's where he talks about the magic formula. I literally read in a day. So, you know, it's not long. So, page the most but it's so easy to read and the way he lays it out and he tells lots of great stories about his kids and you know just kind of explaining things and it's just you know it's very easy you know enjoyable read and when you're done you're like wow i learned a lot and i didn't you know it's not a textbook kind of book you know it's not you know lots of numbers and dry formulas and stuff he's just, he's just a very entertaining writer so you know the the magic formula that that we're talking about tonight you know, I believe over the the back testing that he did, it had a thirty percent you know rate of return annualized over that time period, which is again you know ridiculously good. And like Andrew was saying, you know, the last few years it has not done as well 
Uh, and, but you know, the thing is, is in the book, he spends a fair amount of time in the book, you know, explaining his testing. And one of the things that he does is he lays out kind of how his thought is on how the formula would work best. And unlike, you know, finding the intrinsic value of a company or, you know, calculating the return on invested capital or return on assets or some of these more, you know, Complicated formulas. What he does is he kind of uses this whole process as a screener to find stocks that he would invest in. And kind of the way he lays it out is he will break it up into either 20 to 30 different companies that you can buy. And what I'm sorry, it's 30 and 50, my bad. It's 30 companies and 50 companies. And what you do is you go through the you know, the process and you find the 30 best companies based on this formula and you buy all 30 of those companies and you hold it for a year. And then after a year, you go and you do the whole process all over again. And then any of the companies that have fallen off for whatever reason, you sell the ones that are not on the, you know, part of this formula anymore. And then you buy the new ones and add those in. And he said, based on doing this, if you do this over, uh, he, he, he looked at it in three to five year time slots, if you will. And you, there were some periods of time where it didn't do as well the first year or maybe even the second year, but then the third year, the fourth year and the fifth year, it would kick some serious butt or, you know, you'd have a, a you know, a slot maybe where the first two years were awesome and the next three weren't so great. So he kind of, he, you know, instead of just taking a big chunk of time and just kind of flat laying it out, he broke up his, uh, you know, his back testing to kind of illustrate that, yes, there are periods of time where it just, it won't do as well, but you know, over a long period of time, it's going to, you know, it's going to do well. It's, it's again, one of those, you know, situations where you have to be patient with what you're doing and you can't just walk in and go, you know, expect to make, you know, 45% the first year and then, you know, I'm out kind of thing. It's, you know, it's again, it's a, it's based on, you know, value investing and, you know, Joel Greenblatt make no bones about it. He is a value investor, but he also dabbles in a lot of different other things. And, you know, Andrew mentioned earlier about the growth stock part of it. And, you know, to me, when we look at the magic formula, I kind of look at it as a little bit of both. You know, I look at it as kind of a combination of, you know, a lot of the foundation is based in value investing, but there's also a kind of a growth component to it as well. And I personally have have used this formula on a, a test that I've done as well for myself. And the first year that I did it, it uh, came back at a little over 18 uh, percent. This year, it's it's not doing as well. It's about I just was looking at it. It's about almost 10 percent so far this year. So, I mean, it's not done horrible by any stretch, but, you know, it's not in the 30 percent. But I'll be curious to see how how that progresses going forward. And I I am accounting for any of the fees that you have to take into consideration when you buy 30 individual companies because that's that is there's that's a very real cost and you have to take that into account you know you talk about like having a component of growth and value and i like how the earnings yield obviously has value investing in it with the whole price aspect in there it's interesting the return on capital has nothing to do with price whatsoever so you could most definitely be getting into a high return on capital company that has you know a it could be the biggest bubble that we've ever seen, right? So, mm-hmm. 
the what's nice is how he balances them between saying, well, I want both of these two components to both rank highly. And so that, in effect, kind of allows you to kind of get the best of both worlds in the sense that uh, a company that's, let's say, a bubble stock, but also the highest growth stock, it's kind of going to automatically be canceled out because the earnings yield is just going to be like, you know, stupid low for a rank. And so in in that sense, you're kind of getting the cream of the crop pushed to the top in from both a value and growth perspective. Exactly. And that's, I think that's what he was really going for when he, when he came up with his idea and, you know, I think that's one of the things that I liked about it and kind of appealed to me. And, you know, I read this book early on in my investing career and it really, you know, kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of the different ways that you could look at investing. You know, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, just following the Warren Buffett model or following the Manish Prabhai model, you know, that, you know, Joel Greenblatt had his own way of doing it. And I think that's one of the things that I always find so interesting and, and fascinating about the whole investing world is there's so many different slices of, of the pie that you can look at and taking, you know, a little bit from this and a little bit from that, you can kind of create your own idea that, you know, will work for you. And, you know, there is no hard, fast, you know, you absolutely have to do it this way and there's no other way, but you know, the highway kind of thing, you know, Andrew and I are both very much in the value investing camp and we both are, you know, big advocates of a lot of the things that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, you know, advocate. But, you know, I think we also look at, you know, other things and take into consideration other ideas and other aspects of, you know, investing that are out there. And one of the things that I like about what uh, Greenblatt has done with this formula is he's made it very accessible to people. You know, the, the book obviously, as Andrew mentioned, was, was a bestseller and it's still, you know, does very, very well. And it's, you know, it's an easy book to find. You can find it at your local library. But another thing that's kind of cool is that, you know, he could easily sell this and make, you know, just gobs and gobs of money, but he doesn't. He has a free website that you can go to. It's called magicformula.com. And there you can sign up. It's just a simple matter of entering your, your email address and a username. And you can basically screen for these companies yourself. And he does all the work for you. You, know, you just, you know, you basically type in, you, you know, like I said, you just say you want 30 stocks or you want 50 stocks. And you just, it'll spit out all 30 stocks you want to look at. And it'll spit out all 50 stocks you want to look at. And it just kind of really depends on on which route you want to go, you know, if you want to test this or if you want to look at it, you know, you could just as easily, if you don't want to do it, you know, with actual cash money, you know, you could do it with, you know, creating, you know, a, a watch list on any of the websites that Andrew and I've talked about in the past and just test it for yourself and see how it does. And if you like the way it's going, then maybe it's something you can look at, you know, putting part of your portfolio into, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, when I, you know, he's kind of, you know, I mentioned earlier that he's, he's, he, he's an interesting guy and he's kind of, you know, changed his, the way he invests through his life. And, 
you know, he's kind of gone away from the magic formula now into more, he's still kind of following a lot of the same, uh, you know, ideas of the return on capital, but instead of just 30 or 50, I think now he's, he's got hundreds of stocks, you know, in his portfolio and, you know, he's really kind of branched out from what he originally created with the magic formula. So it's interesting to me how somebody so accomplished can kind of keep trying to, not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but find a new way to, you know, look at what he's trying to do and, you know, see if there's another way that he can beat the market. I think that shows right there. Like you said earlier, there's no hard and fast rules. He's proving that himself by constantly evolving the way he's doing his investing. And, you know, Warren Buffett talks about that too, how he can't buy the same stocks that he used to be able to buy before Berkshire Hathaway had $200 billion because nowadays if he tried to, buy those kind of stocks he'd be buying some of those stocks outright and you know that's just not something that's practical for him and his purposes so he has to buy a lot of the stocks that are bigger market cap uh, i think that's really the most important part of this whole discussion is the idea that you like you said you need to taste all the different types all the different pieces of the pie and then figure out which one you like the best because at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to try to clone copy a, a Greenblatt or or a Graham or a Buffett, the problem is, is you know, they've internalized this and they've understood the parts that make sense to them the most and the parts that kind of align with their values, so to say. So when they see their portfolio underperform, which is inevitable, you're going to have periods of time where your portfolio is going to underperform. It's just over the we're talking about like over a short time where you might see a year where the S&P did 15%, you only did 10% or maybe you'll you'll have a two-year spree where the, the S&P beat you. But over the long term, over decades, you should be beating the market if if you're using a successful value investing approach. And so the only way you'll be able to stay grounded and, and have the discipline and the persistence to stay with with your strategy is if you a hundred percent believe it. And if you have a hundred percent internalized it and have been comfortable with why it makes sense in your head and why you are confident to stick it through. And so I think that's why it's really important to try to expand your horizons horizons and, and not pigeonhole yourself into just thinking, well, this is the one way or the highway. Like Dave said, there, there's a lot of different things and a lot of different pieces you can learn and not, you know, not just from investors, but from daily people out there in your life. There's, there's always someone you can learn something from. And so I think that definitely applies with investing and definitely applies if you're going to try to buy stocks with a value investing approach. And so I hope that these two components of Greenblatt's magic formula really make sense. I hope we're able to simplify it and hopefully it kind of opens your mind and helps you process really what these numbers that are inside the company's financials kind of what the, what kind of stories are telling what what they're saying about the health of the company and how you can use that to your advantage and to really point you in that path of the type of performance that you're really trying to achieve with your portfolio well said i think that's a great place to end all right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the magic formula and Joel Greenblatt. Hopefully we've helped open your eyes and simplify the formula for you. And hopefully you found a new way to do some investing. 
you know, remember, we're here to help you learn how to invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we want to help you become a better investor so you can invest for your life and be wealthy, and that's what really what we're here for. We want to help. So we hope you enjoyed our show tonight, and without any further ado, we will check out, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.